It's huge. I mean, like I said, like on a, on a reinspection or something like that, if you provide me all this documentation, I'm gonna freaking throw it in their face. And then he started doing that and the claims went higher and higher because it got into more of the policy limit of that specific section. Mike, how do you get to cover one and don't get to cover the other? Isn't that a violation of Florida law? And that, what do you know, it got paid for amazingly quick. I mean, that was crazy. That was unbelievable. I hope you guys took notes on that. There's going to be people that are going to rewind that. So I called UPC and they said they were saying, no, no, no. I said, I said, um, I don't really want to take this to court, but I will. I'm like, you're going to lose. The reason why is um, I have permission from somebody else on the street that is a policyholder of yours. Um, I have a written, written permission to submit what they've given me. I'm going to send that over to you. You should have gotten paid for that. And then they're just like, well, my public adjuster didn't tell me that. Or my the insurance adjuster didn't tell me that. And yeah, they're not going to. <laughs> no, they're not going to. I said all the soft metal. I want all the gutters. Um, I don't do roofs that, that have gutters on them. I don't, my, my roofing guys aren't gutter guys. Um, it's spiked through the drip edge. There's no way to save it. And I'm like, and plus I'm like, it's just gonna look bad. I'm like, and it's gonna bring down the property value and blah, blah, blah. Garrett, I don't think I told you this yet, but one of the things that fascinate me the most about our conversations is your knowledge on code. Oh yeah. <laughs> and if they're not built to code, not installed correctly, and that's a huge liability. Um, property values go down, uh, revenue for the state, revenue for the city will go down. And, and then that catches their ear. Every single one that went to a public adjuster and every single one got approved. Every go. single one got approved. Every, I mean, every single one of them for three years. Duh. And then, like, why would I do it any other way? What's up, advocates? And welcome back to another episode of the Claims Game Podcast. Probably my new favorite thing about what we offer. Uh, but before I get into our another amazing guest, uh, we're sponsored by Fortez Health. PPE, people. This is a time where it's absolutely necessary. Whether you want to wear a mask or you don't want to wear a mask, you should probably have one anyway. Um, I don't know if we're getting to a place where we're going to need them even more, uh, but frank, the fact of the matter is I think it's going to be the norm for a while. So if you want to get a good rate at these uh, of these uh, PPE equipment, I think it'll be great if you go to Fortez Health because you're going to get 20% off. If you put in Vince20 uh, in the link below, you'll get 20% off and uh, you'll be able to get whatever you want gloves masks uh probably like full attire all kinds of stuff the other thing is that a lot of the proceeds go to a good cause uh basically uh, fortes health puts a uh, they donate a percentage of sales to uh healthcare workers and people who need uh, fire departments uh police departments uh so everything that you buy they actually donate ppe to them as well so it's also a good cause so check it out fortes health today such a good one our first roofer. I think this is our first roofer that we have on the on the podcast. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, today we are interviewing Jared Starman. Jared, I met Jared in Pensacola a few weeks ago, and the guy is like a genius. I mean, he knows so much about code and construction that it's just like and great arguments that you could present to the insurance company that it's absolutely incredible this podcast is fantastic for you public adjusters if you are looking to come up with some really good arguments and counter arguments to insurance adjusters telling you that the roof should not be replaced i'm telling you right now there's sections of this podcast 
that you need to just rewind, write down, rewind, write down because it's some really legitimate stuff in regards to tile roofing that just blew my mind. Shingled roofing, metal roofing as well. So check it out uh, and all kinds of code upgrades that we're probably leaving out of our estimates or we're not following up with even after the claim gets settled that we need to make sure the insurance um, that the policyholder gets paid for. So check out this one. This one's a good one. Jared is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to construction, especially roof damage. So I think you should love it. Uh, Jared Starman, by the way, he's the owner of American Dream Builders of Southwest Florida Incorporated. American Dream Builders of Southwest Florida Incorporated. Their phone number, we put it right here. Uh, call him. Call him anytime. Email him. He gave me his cell phone and his email address right here so that you could go ahead and reach out to him, especially if you're a public adjuster, you want some knowledge on this stuff. It's really great. Um, you can find Jared on Facebook and you can find American Dream Builders on Facebook. And on Instagram, he's actually uh, Starman Athletics because uh, he played semi-pro football. It's an amazing, even if you're like a contractor too, he's got a great service that he's putting together. He streamlined his system in such a way that he's actually going to be helping other contractors sort of do the same. So I think if you're a contractor as well, and you are considering really going out and you know working these storms and stuff, he's got a very, very amazing streamlined system on how to get leads, generate leads, and uh, close deals, and, and get roofs, and get contracts. So if you're a contractor, check this one out too. I mean, it's fantastic. And public adjusters, get ready to get your head blown on some of these arguments that you could use. Another beautiful thing about Jared, real quick before we get into it, is he's an advocate like I am on expert reports. Obviously, he is an expert, but he has put together expert reports for attorneys, for public adjusters all over the country. That's how smart this guy is. So check out the podcast. You're going to love it. I hope you watch it all the way or listen to it all the way to the end. Jared, like I said, he's the man. So check it out right now. Welcome to the Claims Game Podcast with Vince Perry. Get all the tips you need from insurance claim advocates and professionals and grow your public adjusting career to the next level. And now the commercial claims advocate, Vince Perry. All right. Welcome, Jared. Hey, how's it going, Vince? It's going pretty good. I've been wanting to have you on this podcast for a while. Do you know why? I appreciate it. Because you're a smart guy. <laughs> You know a lot about this industry. Uh, we met, we met uh, actually not too long ago, but I think we hit it off pretty well. We met, uh, we, we had some, uh, I know I had one of the best old fashions that I had ever had. That thing was freaking phenomenal. That was wonderful, wasn't it? I think you were having like, uh, you were having your Jack and Coke. And um, it was about Scot uh, Scotch and Scotch and yeah, Scotch. <laughs> scotch and Scotch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we did, uh, we had a nice lunch in Pensacola. Um, thankfully, because of social media, LinkedIn, we were able to link up in Pensacola, talk mm -hmm. shop for a while, had a great lunch is one of the things I love about, about business is building relationships with people and with, uh, with the right people and with smart people. And uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was great. Our first conversation. I mean, you know, a shit ton about this industry. And by the way, you can totally curse if you want to curse. This is just you okay. and I just having a good conversation like we did, uh, like we did at lunch. Um, no FCC requirements, got it. No, no, no. That's the beauty about podcasts. But uh, I guess before I get you going, what you sent, I asked you to send me a text of some of your require, of some of your, I guess, sort of your, what's the word I'm looking for? 
like accomplishments or accomplishments and experience and stuff. So I'm just yeah. gonna read it off. I think it's I think it's okay. really good. I'm gonna read it off because I think it's hilarious and then we can just talk about whatever it is that comes up. But okay. Jared, you've been in the insurance restoration industry for seven years. You came to Florida three years ago. The first company did ten million dollars in gross sales. I repeat people, $10 million in gross sales. He left that company because I guess it just wasn't enough. And um, he started doing his own reports, which is something I really want to get into is you basically were putting together expert reports because right. you know everything there is to know about roofing systems and, and wind damage and all that stuff. Well, not everything, right? But most. Um, you did Hurricane Michael. So you went to Panama City. You helped three other contractors that were also roofing contractors with their insurance restoration business. Um, what is it? You were an expert witness for two attorney firms and public adjusting firms. That's yeah. awesome. And then last year you did $10 million in gross sales. And just this year, guys, since September, uh, you've got a GC roofing solar company and you've already contracted $1 million in gross sales. What the hell, man? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a blast, man. It's been a blast. <laughs> That's amazing. So tell me, I guess, uh, let's, let's start from the beginning. I mean, tell me about when you came to Florida three years ago and you had your first company did $10 million in gross sales. So what was that about? What kind of company was that? What were you doing exactly? And, and how were you able to get there? It was actually this company. I don't know if you can see that. American Dream Builders of Southwest Florida. Yep. So I was a salesperson for American Dream Builders Southwest Florida. I came down here a year ago. Um, I met a couple guys in Virginia when I was up in Virginia doing um, hail claims in uh, Gainesville, Virginia. And uh, I worked for one company that was only licensed in Virginia. And then I crossed the state line and worked for another company that was only licensed in Maryland. <laughs> so um, I was split duty between the two of them. Um, one company got wind of it and um, because I applied for a job on Craigslist, actually went and met everybody, um, helped out one of their friends with something simple, like, uh, the building code for a chimney, believe it or not. And he said, so what do you want? I said, typically I'll, I'll just 10%. He goes, I'll give you 10%, anything else you give me. So I got him to give the rest of the roof, um, met with the insurance company. And then, um, I was talking with the adjuster he said, yeah, we're just going to give half the roof. I'm like, well, that's really funny. I said, because your roof assist climber uh, agreed with me on the roof. I'm like, and I'm going to get a sworn testimony affidavit from him. And then when we go to court, I'm going to just say point of order and ask, because like, I don't need an attorney on this one. So I'm just say point of order, Your Honor. Uh, I want the insurance company to produce the uh, affidavit that says uh, that their internal policies and procedures trump state law. And he looked at me and I said, you know what's going to be even funnier is I'm going to call the homeowner over here and you're going to tell him the same thing, right? And he's like, hold what? So I called the homeowner over here. I said, I gave him the building code for your chimney, which is over 30, uh, over 36 inches. So you need a cricket. And uh, they knew that when they insured the house. So just to let you know, they knew that this could be an issue or a problem. They could have told you to fix it then. I said, and you have hail damage on one side, but not claiming on the other. I said, you're, you're their person that got on the roof um, confirmed confirmed that there's damage all over the roof. I said, so your interior damage that you had, um, they should probably take care of that. And I looked at the adjuster. He goes, what do you want? I said, oh, I want it all. I said, all the soft metal. I want all the gutters. Um, I don't do roofs that, that have gutters on them. I don't, my, my roofing guys aren't gutter guys. Um, it's spiked through the drip edge. There's no way to save it. And I'm like, and plus I'm like, it's just going to look bad. I'm like, and it's going to bring down the property value and blah, blah, blah. I said, so and then the interior work, 
needs to be paid for because that's direct damage from the roof. Um, and so what do you say? And he said, no problem. And he cut a check three days later and then I swung by and picked up the money. And then that's how the relationship started to get to Florida, believe it or not. Um, I left Virginia and, and Maryland and went back to Illinois where I live in Southern Illinois and Granite city. And then, um, they called me, I think it was like November, December, the guy that I helped on the roof. Um, cause I told him I could do this with my eyes closed, lobotomized with no arms and no legs. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just need a phone. And, uh, he made an offer. Uh, they bought a company and came down here. So I set up my system that I knew that worked and uh, we started just cranking business out. It was on the tail end of Irma. Uh, well, second year, or, let's see, first year of Irma, I guess, um, 2018. So January 26th, 2018, um, I was uh, in a house with the two owners, uh, had like a room and I would lay on the couch at night after running appointments all day and uh, literally with my eyes closed, <laughs> tell them how and what to do and why. And then that lasted for, I think we were in that place for like three months and then we got an office. Um, I went and grabbed my travel trailer and drug it down. The, and like that, that was the most fun to be honest. And then, oh. and then we just started cranking out business cause I then I hired people and I had a intaking process for it and everything is about systems and processes that at work or processes so i'm glad i'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that <clears throat> systems and process i just actually you tried to call me earlier today and i was actually on a conference call with my whole team and actually what we're putting together now is uh sops standard operating procedures of everybody's yep. sort of thing because i keep telling them like guys if you can't be here for some reason and we want to we want to just plug somebody in real quick if we've got all this already laid out it's just going to help you know, so much that we'll be able to get things done faster. Yeah, they grow their business. But I wanted to get back to something because honestly, Jared, I don't think I told you this yet, but one of the things that fascinate me the most about our conversations is your knowledge on code. Oh, yeah. Because you have these stories where you're just like, well, the code says this and the code says that. And, da -da -da, and they're always just like, well, how do you know that? And you're always telling me, well, I mean, do you read it at a fifth grade level? I do. I can see it. On eighth grade, yeah, I say I read it at eighth grade level. <laughs> tell, me, tell me, I guess, give me another example about, about a time where you were able to state code, because this is something that I know that my audience is, is going to be fascinated by. Because if I'm fascinated by it, because, well, look, we're public adjusters, Jared. You know, our job is policy. Our job is negotiation. Our job is we need to know when the 14-day 14 14-day 14 limit comes up. We need to know when right. the 30-day limit. We need to be on top of that, following up with the insurance company so they don't they don't dick around and take too long to, to pay the claim. So that's that's what we do, right? But right. code and stuff like that, I wish, and I can. I, I'm going to try to educate myself now, especially after meeting you. But I guess give me another example when you were able to just state code on, on a claim and get everything paid as opposed to not getting paid. And where did you get this knowledge? And where were you? Tell me a little bit about this code. So there's a, there's a, secret, there's a secret magical portal that I use. Not, and it's called Google. Google. Um, yeah. And uh, when I have a question, I, I Google it. And then uh, I do control F and I search in the Florida building code. There's my secret. Um, but what really comes, what it really comes down to is knowing like the, the roofing standards and codes for tile and shingle metal installation, TPO, whatever it is, knowing what the building codes are that are required and then what's enforced. So what I always did is I would go to the county 
building department and ask them if they enforce the building code. And they say, yeah. I say, okay, you mind if you put that on a letterhead and, and send it to me? They're like, oh, I'll sign it. They would print it out and they'd sign it right there in front of me. So then anytime I got pushback on my building code or my PA did, I just send them that letter. And then say, well, the county enforces 2017 sixth edition Florida building code for hurricane mitigation requirements and, you know, wind debris regions, which means that the roof has to be built to a different standard. And that's it. One of, one of the things that we, we require, uh, we, we do a couple courses and stuff like that. And one of my biggest things that I, that I harp on, and I've told you this already, is, is expert documentation and any kind of expert documentation. It could be a letter from a roofer, from a plumber, or it could be something from the, from the, from the, from the department of, of, of uh, the building code, from, from the building department, where they can right. provide you with some kind of documentation that states, yes, as a matter of fact, this needs to be done in order to be up to code, you know, blah, 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 blah. So right. you've got it right, man. I mean, that's the way it's got to be. If you're able yep. to go to the building department and, and just actually get that on paper, that's a home run, grand slam every time. It might take two or three visits, but I mean, when you really start talking to the, to the building department person and you tell them, look, you know, the, the danger of not having it written down is that you're going to have hundreds of contractors doing roofs to, uh, that are not going to be to code because the homeowners aren't really understanding that there's more money involved that's available for them um, because they don't know, you know, there hasn't been a claim. There hasn't been a claim really for hurricane since Ivan uh, here in Pensacola. So it's uh, important, you know, to make sure that, you're taking care of the community enforcing these codes because if not, you're going to have roofs that are going to be built and I mean, damage is going to happen eventually. And if they're not built to code, not installed correctly, and that's a huge liability. Um, property values go down, uh, revenue for the state, revenue for the city will go down. And, and then that catches their ears. That's true. Um, that's I mean, it's true. I mean, you got a bunch of bad roofs. I mean, <laughs> Who the hell wants to do that? So the other thing, what could happen too, is the last thing you want is to settle a claim, get a release sign, have it all be closed and done only to find out when the repair process starts. Oh, well, you know, we need to bring this up to code. We need to do this and we need to do that. Well, you should right. have gotten paid for that. And then they're just like, well, my public adjuster didn't tell me that. Or my, the insurance adjuster didn't tell me that. And yeah, they're not going to. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to. And now they're just like left. And I heard that's been happening a lot. I've got a couple. I've got a couple yeah. denials from Andy, who's over there, and uh, and it's it's a lot of them. They're 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 not wanting to pay for any of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you guys do policy, but like I say, I'm I'm not interpreting policy, and I'm not an attorney. But you know, I read at the eighth grade level, and that paper you have is a contract, also known as a as a policy. Um, so you can read right there. And what I do is I'll just have the homeowner read it, and then I'll Google it for them so they understand what that means you know, your ordinance of law, you have it. It says you have 25%, well, I said, which has to be justified by verified damage covered in a, in a some kind of covered peril, I said, which is called Hurricane Sally. And so you can usually work with the public adjuster to get these approved. I said, my job as a contractor is to put together and package everything so it makes their job and life easier. So that way I can get your roof done at the dollar amount in order to restore you to pre-storm condition. I said, but I'm not going to argue it. The public adjuster, that's their job. That's what they do. And I, so I have relationships with PAs, different firms to help, you know, the, the homeowner. And it really makes my job a lot smoother and easier. You know, I don't even need a bill collection department. You know, 45 days later, I get a check for my supplement and the roof's already torn off and installed. So it's just cost incurred. So they're arguing a cost incurred estimate. And it's not even an estimate anymore. It's a cost incurred invoice. So if it goes to appraisal, like we talked about, or another PA and I had a conversation about, 
they're talking about what it costs to do the job. In my contract, it says, um, you know, this is the initial contract price, which is given to you by the insurance uh, company. Uh, this is their estimate, and that's exactly what it is. Um, this is the initial contract price plus pending supplements. And then in my contract, it mentions we do things to exactimate pricing. Supplements are agreed upon between, you know, the contractor and the insurance company. Uh, and those are in addition to your initial contract price. So when the insurance company pushes back and I send them a, you know, a signature of my, um, like the public adjuster will send in the estimate uh, and he sends it to the insured. I have the insured sign it. I sign it. And then that becomes part of my contract. And I send it to the insurance company. I send it back to the PA. PA sends it in. So they have a signed estimate, a signed contract, ready to go. I rip it off, put it on, and then it's a invoice. It's no longer an estimate. So it makes a big difference. And it really, the public adjuster really needs to know that, that they have a contractor who understands how that, that they understand how it works. I mean, they, the contractor, understands the PA's position and, and how to get stuff done and how to get it approved. And they know that the work's actually going to get done. So there's less liability for the PA. And then the expert reports really help work into that. You know? you know, one thing we were talking about yesterday also was, you know, I think a lot of times some public adjusters and contractors out there, they frown upon people like you and I working. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't understand it. So you know, I don't either. Yeah, Florida is a unique animal, man. Or, yeah, because that's very common throughout the country, right? Yeah. So Very I think, so public adjusters, it's super beneficial to have a guy like Jared on your claim because he's already, you've got your expert documentation. Good to go. Like that's yeah, like, I'm that's unique crazy. in that way. Unique in that way. I'll, I'll have an independent third party go out and do an inspection on the roof and it's called a home inspector. Um, so I, I have a partnership with a company. They hire local people. So it's, you know, they, they have, they don't know anything about my business. So it's 100% the independent third party. Let me, let me interrupt you real quick. Uh, I'm always telling public adjusters to get a roofer out there, get a roofing expert for your expert report on a roof, get your plumbing expert out for the expert plumbing report. But what you sort of, uh, uh, you just, you hit a light bulb for me uh, when we first met was guys, you can get a, a home inspector also. Because home inspectors yeah. are also educated and, and, and licensed, obviously, on roof systems. For roof inspections. Right. Yeah. So why not? If you can't find that roofer with the roofing, uh, with the roofing uh, license number, you could go get a home inspector to go up there and take a look at it. That could be just as valuable as a roofing inspection from a roofer. Uh, it could be just as valuable. Well, and then, you know, in your guys' uh, arguments to the insurance company, you know, let's say they push back, which they always do. They always push back. We know this is going to happen. So the insurance company pushes back on the, the home inspector's um, qualifications or something. Well, you send in their license. Their license is they are licensed and certified to do tile, metal, shingle, right. roof inspections Even better. For, dam for damage. So, okay, then they come out and say, the roof has damage on it. You need a licensed roofing contractor to put together something. So if you just submit the home, the, uh, home inspector's report, they're going to say, well, you need a licensed roofer. Okay, so then you have your licensed roofer put together their expert uh, report and send it in. Then how's the insurance company really going to deny that? They told you what to do. And then you have two things to fall back on. Um, roofer give it to you for free. The, the, um, the home inspector will charge you, obviously. Um, so what I did is I just networked with home inspectors to put them on there immediately. Um, I passed the cost on, uh, but you know, I explained to the homeowner why it's important. And not only that, but 
they do a pre, so think about that as public adjusters, as a service that I would offer to anybody that's listening. If you worked with me, um, I would have a pre home inspection done before the roof is done. And then what I do is I use that as kind of a, on the back end, I will bring that home inspector back out and my company will pay for it because that's my CYOA. When I walk away from that job, that homeowner then has a roof and home report knowing exactly at a point in time, date, timestamps, geo-targeted on the pictures. They know exactly what that roof looked like, which is a database that's created slowly, obviously, for claims, but hugely important because then anybody that would work with me, I have a whole list of people that when hurricane hits again, I've got everybody with a, with a report. So if nobody ever gets on that roof and he gets damage on it, well, then what caused it? So it will make the next claim a lot easier. And so I started doing that in, in uh, Naples and Fort Myers and um, doing it, did it in Panama City and doing it here in Pensacola. So slowly building a database that is easily accessible. And so that name cop pops up <clears throat> or a public adjuster said, hey, you don't have a report on this, do you? And of course I would. That obviously would have a fee. So. You get the home inspector to do a, a report before or you get the home inspector as soon as the damage occurs and you go out there, you get a home inspection report. And then after the yep. claim is done, after you replace the roof, after it's all said and done, you get a post inspection report. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a, great too, so because that's going to help the homeowner know that at least the job was done right too, because exactly. that, that's the other thing too. And I, pa- and I package that together with a certificate of completion report that I do. And that part of that report is the home inspection report, um, the passing of final inspection so that they have that for the roof. And then the same thing for the interior, because I have to submit that in order to get the recoverable depreciation released and proof of deposit for or proof of uh, deductible payment. So that way it also helps the home inspector know that like, okay, I'm getting all this approved. There's not going to be any shenanigans going on because this guy's a GC and a roofer and he wants his O&P. So he has to do the inside work and the outside work. Otherwise it's fraud. So that's why I do it to make sure that the homeowner has a little peace of mind. And also as a company, you know, I know exactly what that thing looked like. Everything functioned when I left. That's the biggest thing. I think it's good. It's a great service that you're providing to the, to the policyholder as well. Um, give me a story about code. I want a story about code. You gave um, the beginning, but give me another one. Uh, a story about code about when uh, they didn't want to pay for nothing, and you're just like, well. Um, when I first got down there, um, let's just say the company, uh, an insurance company that ends in PC, um, was pushing back pretty hard on second SWR, secondary water resistant barrier, um, and they said it's not required, it's not needed, and then I showed them that it's in the windborne debris region. Um, uh, because certain miles from the coast, uh, that didn't work. And so then I had, um, networked with the, with the neighborhood, right? So, Hold on, um, real quick, real quick, repeat that, that first part again. Cause that, that was, that was awesome. You said SWR, SWR, SWR. Yes. So secondary water resistant barrier, uh-huh. um, is required on the roof. Now you can, you can do like a 19 inch overlap on felt, which basically is stupid because that's double felt. Um, but you don't want to do that. Um, it's the same cost though as peel and stick, but the secondary water resistant barrier says that it needs to, you can cover the surface. And then like, if they don't give that, you can butyl caulk and then seal every single, uh, tape every seam. If you do all that work, it's going to be the same as putting peel and stick down. <laughs> so just go for the peel and stick. And then if they say no to the peel and stick, then you can get the butyl caulk, the, the taping of the joints, uh, the bull in the valleys, you know, all of that. So the, it equals out is my point. Um, but I got, 
I got a, a blank PC to pay because I went through the neighborhood. And this is something like strategy-wise, everybody is listening that are public adjusters. Dude, network with the neighborhood. Find out who else has the same insurance, right? See who, and then get their insurance scope, right? That's all I did. I just asked for their insurance scope. And I found, lo and behold, on the same street, a UPC, what do you know, out of like 30 houses on the street, 10 of them were UPC. So um, I looked at their insurance scope. Well, one of them had secondary water resistant barrier for 3,423 squares. Uh-huh. So I called UPC and they said, they were saying, no, no, no. I said, I said, um, I don't really want to take this to court, but I will. I'm like, you're going to lose. And the reason why is um, I have permission from somebody else on the street that is a policy holder of yours. Um, I have a written written permission to submit what they've given me. I'm going to send that over to you. And so I sent them the insurance scope to the adjuster I was working with, with the same insurance company, right? Different, different desk adjuster. I said, you see on the, you know, on the roofing section where it says SWR and you guys covered the entire sec, the entire square footage of the roof for SWR. He goes, yeah. I said, so how do you think that's going to look in court when I say, you know, on the same street with the same insurance company, you paid for this, but I'm asking for this and you're saying no, that it's not covered. I'm like, how do you get to cover one and don't get to cover the other? Isn't that a violation of Florida law? And that, what do you know, it got paid for amazingly quick. Nice. And I guess, you know, I mean, and it was like 48 squares. So it was 4,800 square feet of peel and stick. It was like another $8,000. And, and we had to spend it anyway. You know, plus we popped the perimeter to check for, uh, make sure it had hurricane clips. Or, or straps, right? So even if it has hurricane strips or claps, this is straps. This is the other thing the PA needs to be worried about is you need to see how many nails it has in it. Some, you know, the, when they first installed it, if it was like 95, you know, or let's say 2000, it may only have like one or two nails on either side of the truss and then one nail on the top plate and then one nail on the top plate on the other side, right? So that means that's not code because it doesn't have enough nails in the hurricane clip. <laughs> Believe it or not, just because it has a, you know, you know, it has to have a certain amount. It's three and two. Uh, as per, and you know where I got that information? Google. From the home inspector. Oh. Ah. Uh, which as a contractor means that if you do that and you can prove, then obviously, you know, from what the home, from what the public adjusters have told me, then they get up to 30% off on their, on their, um, sure on their premium. Sure. Yeah. If they, if their mitigation is done properly. And they have all the mitigation requirements, which the home inspector also tells me. So it's just another, it's, it's a sales tool for me and for the public adjuster to be able to show extra value to the customer and say, you know, we're going to look at policy. And then you have a contractor that goes in and tells the public adjuster or informs them that like, Hey, there's only this much. So you need to tell them that they, we need to do hurricane clips on this That's right. because I have to do it as per code. You know, I, if it's over 300, thousand dollars i have to do it if it's under 300 it's not required which is crazy um i I still recommend and i push really hard for it for homeowners because my um you're not really talking that much more money (laughs) you know so um that's one thing with the code Uh, another thing was um you mentioned with the the, the nails they got to be like six inches apart or something like that yeah yeah so so the wind mitigation for hurricane wind mitigation anywhere in the state of florida you have to renail every six inches on center and perimeter of the sheets of plywood. So up the rafters and along the eaves. So, um, and you have to document it. Each county is different. So you just have to take pictures. So you throw a tape 
you know, you, you measure the tape up and then you m make the marks of where the nails are. And then you go in between measure. And then I have them just put an X. So we take pictures of that and show the entire roof, but that's, that's mitigation that you have to do it. And that's extra. So all these things are, are all these things are code. So what I did is I worked with a PA that I said, here's all the codes that I know. Um, and here's the F9 notes and the reasons why for, for production. I'm like, I need you to relate the damage to the section in the policy that supports that my code supports. And then he started doing that and the claims went higher and higher because it got into more of the policy limit of that specific section, you know, which sure. is fantastic. You know, like I said, disclaimer, I'm not talking policy. I'm not an adjuster, not an attorney. So, <laughs> yeah, but you, know. You, know, you know, you know your stuff, man. And I mean, this is just ways that, I mean, uh, you know, one of, I think one of the biggest concerns I think PAs should have is when they're putting their estimates together or they're sending their estimator out to do an estimate is that they're missing stuff that maybe they could have included. You know, that's a big concern. Oh, yeah. That's the last. Yeah, so like interior wise, you know, there's roof to wall taping transitions. Like when you do a ceiling, like the ceiling back here, right? You see that trim? Yeah. Right. So you got to pop that trim off. It's going to damage the wall. And let's say there's a, a wall to ceiling stain, you know, just itty bitty that come down the wall. Okay, well, we have to take that off mud tape and float it. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a specific uh, drop down in exactly for that. And you're talking there's another $2,000 a room. Huh. So, I mean, that's, that's a big thing. And then you, gotta, you have to prime and two coats of paint. Or usually they go prime and then a coat of paint. And right. so it's like, no, that's, I'm like, that ain't going to work. You know? And then the, the additional labor hours for you know, uh, floating sand. So... I got, I got, I got, I got a funny story. Are you ready? Yeah. You're not going to believe this. I had an adjuster just this week. What are we in Tuesday? So that must've been, no, it was Monday. So it's probably it was Monday. Yeah. Must've been like, must've been like Thursday or Friday. Uh, she, she sends me an email with her disagreements and I had, I had driveway protection and she's like, we don't pay for driveway protection. Oh, really? What so type I, of driveway? So, was it hand, hand laid pavers? So I told her, I said, look, I said, you're going to have to pay for driveway protection because we're going to have, we're going to have, uh, we're going to have the dumpster out there. We're going to have a pot out there. And I said, if that makes any kind of damage, any kind of damage at all to the driveway, well, then we're going to put in a claim for the entire, we're going to put in, we're going to put in for the entire driveway to redo the whole thing. Now, unless you want to pay for that, you might as well just pay for the protection. I thought right. about you. I thought about you. Yeah. Well, and it's because I, I mean, I, I saw it on, on a house and it kind of dawned on me. I said, well, why don't we ask for driveway protection? This is for everybody listening, Vince and I talked about this, but um, I was in a neighborhood where houses are like million plus and they all have hand laid paper driveways. So specifically, if you are in higher end neighborhoods that have hand laid paper driveways and the house is, you know, 99, 2000, 2005, you know, all the way up to 2008, um, specifically, you can look for houses that have concave, not concave, but anyway, the rounded cobblestone looking ones, mm -hmm. they're flat on the bottom. So they're rounded like this. They're flat on the bottom. You cannot flip them over. So that means all you have to do is get a driveway guy like I did paying, you know, I think I paid him 300 bucks to write me a report. And, but then the exchange was, I got him into the neighborhood to be able to come in and do the driveways. Sure. And I told the insurance companies, I said, here's, here's the guy that's a driveway person. Um, and I sent one of them to ITEL, or not ITEL. Anyway, he had documentation stating that the company doesn't make those anymore. And so we, then that means you can't match them. So that's where the match. And then I had the, uh, 
public adjuster argued that the matching statute would kick in because those dumpsters, because it's tile or shingle, if, if they sit there and we have to argue about stuff, that means the job's going to sit there. It's going to fill with water. Rust is going to leak out all over their driveway into concrete. Concrete is a porous material. Do you know how much you're going to have to pay for me to clean that driveway? And then possibly it will, that rust will not come out. And then you want to run that risk because a hand-laid paper driveway is $50,000. And so I sent them that documentation and they paid for the driveway protection. You know, you put a, you put a tarp down and then you put five eighths inch plywood underneath to spread the load and, you know, cover the bushes and everything. That's, that's all I was asking for. Simple. I mean, you know, there's a little bit extra money, but I mean, it sure does go a long way when you do it on every single job. If you get 50% of them, 50 to 75% of them to do it, 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 those little nickels and dimes really add up pretty quick. But it makes perfect sense too. I mean, how are you yeah. going to tell me that we're not going to pay for driver protection? What if, you know, the driveway gets all screwed up? I mean, at the very least, you're going to have to pay to resurface the whole damn <laughs> thing because, I mean, come on. And all I'm asking for is a couple tarps, a couple pieces of plywood to so say we could just, you know, support it and that's it. Yeah, the labor, you know, to take care of it. <laughs> I mean, and it's, it's yeah. legitimate. It's, it's a legitimate. If, it, if you're a good contractor and you know these things, you just have to know how to ask and, you know, work with a PA that can get that stuff approved on the front, you know, so that way, you know, you're going to, or even if it was cost incurred, because obviously that they could argue that, okay, that just means I got to do it anyway. Uh, so that way I can now I'm just making sure I get paid for it and then put it on the, you know, the recoverable depreciation check. I'm fine with that. You know, and as long as it's in writing, I'm fine with that. Tell me about you know? the symbiotic relationship that you have with, uh, with public adjusters and how you've worked with public adjusters in the past and how, <clears throat> again, this is mainly a show I would say is mostly public adjusters that are listening, got some contractors out there and some attorneys as well, but explain to me the benefit of working with a public adjuster, both for you and for the adjuster. Well, when, you know, I the came from other states. The adjuster is obvious, but I guess, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I came from other states. So in a lot of other states, you know, you can come in and you can talk with the insurance company and the desk adjuster. You still can in Florida, but you mainly are talking about like lump sum, trying to settle lump sum stuff. And, and it's just the risk and liability of slipping up and having the insurance company, you know, come after you, you know, with a special investigations unit or something. I'm like, why even run the risk? You know, the public adjusters are, that I've networked with, they are really great. Um, I don't see any disadvantage in working the PA. As long as, you know, there's a understanding with the PA and the contractor and you get on the same page about um, the time to money and then the construction costs that you're incurring that should, you know, maybe or should be covered in the contractor's mind. And then the public adjuster gets to figure out how to do that. And then the contractor can say, well, here's the codes. Here's what I have to do. And then I just realized, I'm like, well, if I just write that down and like I can give it to the PA and the PA can just literally read it. Um, and that's what started happening. Um, and then they would, they would go and find it in the, in the policy where it would relate literally like at the bottom of the paragraph, they would put like, you know, page one paragraph two sub uh, sentence here <laughs> you know i mean they were that specific um and he still is one, one guy that, uh, that i work with and the real value comes into knowing that your dollar settlement amount that you're going to get is that you're going to actually be able to survive you know in, in a business as a contractor yeah you know you can send it in and, and argue and argue and argue it's a different you know it's a different path that i that i'm taking that arguing I don't get to enforce the, the statute's requirement for responses. And like, you know, it's just a hopping through hoop delay game. 
Um, and then also, um, I don't have to staff for it. And then I'm like, I, I really can't. Right. You know, I can send an invoice. Anybody can send in an invoice, though. I mean, I have an office. We have an interior office people that can do that. So we send in that, and we, we then inform the public adjuster, hey, we sent this in on this claim, and I copy, I CC them, and then they start arguing it. Or the, or the best part is when the desk adjuster, you know, and every public adjuster knows this, like the desk adjuster starts doing the end around, or a lot of them, I should say. Not, Call know, it the backstroke. Yeah, they, they, they do the backstroke, and then they do an end around trying to talk to the customer or the contractor. Oh, that. I'm talking about something different. Yeah, they, they talk to the customer and the contractor. So what I do is like, you know, hey, there's a letter. I said, there's a legal uh, signed document that uh, is a letter of representation. Um, and, I, and I, as a company, I, I send the email. I said, we don't talk policy. And so they keep doing it, keep doing it. And then the letter that, or the email that we send is like, you know, we're going to have to inform certain people uh, of what you're doing. Um, and I think this may be a violation. And you know, for the last time, um, before we pursue anything, you need to speak to the public adjuster. And so we, we force them to communicate with them. And I, and I do inform the, the homeowners like, look, you have a legal representative on your claim, but the insurance company calls you, you need to make sure that you let them know that you have a, lot, a, letter, a letter of representation with the public adjuster. And that there's certain things, yeah, you have to communicate with them. But other than that, as far as settlements and talking to them, you now have a legal representative to do that for you to make sure you get what you're owed and do. So I said, really keep that in mind. And that's the biggest thing of working with the PAs I've realized is like um, setting expectations for the homeowner to know what the public adjuster brings to the table and how it works for them in, in the best manner, you know, and that the, their, their 10% um, locked in fee for a year from a hurricane is, was done by the state of Florida to mitigate cost for the homeowner, but you have to take advantage of it. I said, if, if after a year you don't, the public adjuster can charge up to what they normally get, which is like up to 30%. I, I said, so it's the most advantageous to do it right now while I'm here. Uh, I can make the introduction to you. You can pick who you want. You know, that's that's what I do. And that's I how get, the relationship works. They get 50% off, basically, because normally we charge here in Florida. Yeah. And it's like, come on, it's only 10%. I mean, you got really nothing to lose here. And at the end of the day, what are we as public adjusters? We're, we're just, we're looking out for the, for the homeowner. We're looking out for the policyholder. We're doing whatever we can. Yep. We're doing the best we can. Uh, look, it, I always tell people, the more money they get, the more money I get. The faster they get paid, the faster I get paid. So I'm not, I'm not trying to screw around. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to ignore emails. I'm not trying to do, I'm just trying to get this thing done as soon as possible. And with a well, not only get it, not, not only get it done, sorry to interrupt, uh, not only get it done, but you know, if you're working with a contractor like me, like I'm going to put together the reports, uh, find the supporting documentation and code um, to make sure that like, Hey, these are the things I need to do for the job. Here's what the code says. You know, if, and the biggest thing that I realized when it dawned on me that I needed to have public adjusters like three years ago, and, and I expressly work with public adjusters and that's it. I, I send almost every single contract to a public adjuster. Well, it's going to make your life a little bit easier too, right? I mean, if you got a good public oh, yeah. adjuster out there, you don't really have to do much else. Once it goes to the PA, we take care of everything else and we get that payment for you as soon as possible. Pretty much. I mean, hundred percent, you know, the, the biggest thing is just working, make sure that, you know, you keep it professional, you keep the arms length, you know, as per the law, yeah. um, you know, there's no, there's no kickbacks or nothing. I mean, um, anything like that. I mean, I literally sent, so the year that I helped the contractors up in Michael, 
like um, I moved to Michael. My, you know, I got a house in Naples, and I moved in. I moved to Michael and slept in my truck for four months because there's one, there's nowhere to stay uh, in Panama City, and two, um, I mean, I was just so busy it wasn't even funny. And like, uh, that's when I was helping like three contractors. I mean, they thought, you know, they thought I was crazy, but at the same time, I'm like, nah, it keeps me hungry, keeps me, keeps me motivated. I slept you know, when you're doing. I slept in my truck for two nights uh, for Michael. Not four months. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it was just, there was nowhere to stay. That was close and I wanted to be right in it. I finally found a hotel and I think it was Tallahassee. Like I had to drive all the way from Tallahassee just to the Yeah, why? <laughs> Forget that. Tell me, so, tell, me, tell me about Michael. What are some of the differences I think I would say? What are some of the differences you found uh, from your experience in Michael to your experience now uh, over in uh, Sally? Yeah. Um, well, obviously, Michael had higher winds. Catastrophic, um, man. Oof. Yeah, I mean, Mexico Beach looked like God sneezed and wiped his hand on the beach. Um, I was in Mexico Beach. That was crazy. You know, the estimates. I was helping the contractors there. Um, you know, I'd I'd hired somebody to license an independent adjuster to do the estimates for me, and then my job to the contractor that my consulting agreement that I had. Um, was to help them show them how everything worked together and how to go from point A to point Z and to get the money approved and work with the PA and supply the things. Uh, a lot of the contractors don't understand to you to that point you were talking about. And like, there's this like stigma, don't use a public adjuster, um, which I don't understand because you without them, you don't get the money. Listen, no, the, when you the, problem, the problem is, is like in construction and like in any other businesses, people don't really trust each other, right? So that's why it's right. you need to, you need to, I think it's more important. And I try to tell people this all the time that when you're building business relationships, make it more friend relationships. Don't, it's not just business. I mean, you guys should be able to get along and, and, and talk to each other for hours on end on the phone. And, and the closer that you all, you all get, the more you're going to trust each other. Because look, at the end of the day, the GC or the contractor's worried that the PA is going to settle the claim without them knowing it's going to run off with their money somehow, some way. The public adjuster's worried that the contractor is going to just try to take him out of whatever it is that he's got the contract with, with the homeowner and, and not do the work, <laughs> not do the work. So, you know, it's, uh, you got, that's why it's just important to get along with people, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, when we were Michael, it was, uh, I know the damage is similar. There's higher winds and stuff. Um, but, um, the difference here is Sally is there's a lot more three tab roofs. So it looks initially like there's not a lot of, not a lot of money here. Uh, but I mean, there's $3 billion worth of damage here in Sally, bro. I mean, it's, oh my God, you can drive down every street and you can see it. And then what's happened is a lot of, you know, it's typical that the homeowner gets a check. They don't know that it's, they think that's all that they have. Right. And so then I come in and I say, no, here's what the insurance company says you get. And yeah, they give you this much, but uh, the public adjuster gets you this plus because that's their job. And they make 10% because they're licensed to do it. And the state statutes say that contractors can't do it. I said, so if I'm a good contractor, and I hope you think that I am, Mr. Homeowner, uh, if I put you in the best scenario for you to get everything that you're owed and due out of all the premiums you've been paying, and you have never had a claim or really hadn't had a claim for 15 years, why would you care about the 10% that the public adjuster gets that comes out of the insurance proceed that isn't your money anyway? 
you know, and like, and then you have the, uh, and then I tell the homeowners, like, you know, there's also the enrichment clause in the, or statute in the state of Florida. You can't just like take the money and then like after everybody's been involved and then try to go get it done cheaper and to enrich yourself. Like that's financially injuring the individual that has a contract with you. Like it's against the law. Like, so your out of pocket is your deductible. My job is to get the work done, supply everything the public adjuster needs as far as reports and documentation. And then his job is to go apply the damage on the roof or your, or your property to the coverage in your policy. And then I give any supporting documentation that he needs. I'm like, and that's the relationship. I'm like, I go, there's nothing else going on. It's, it's, it's on a handshake, like between two individuals that you got to trust each other. I'm like, so you know, I tell him, you know, I've got great relationships built on trust. And I will tell you, and this is the biggest thing is like, out of all of those claims that I did, every single one that went to a public adjuster and every single one got approved. There you every go. single one got approved. Every, I mean, every single one of them for three years, duh. And then like, why would I do it any other way? Now, yeah, you know, I could do it a little bit of it myself, like sending invoices on simple stuff. I don't even do that. I send it to the PA, let them do it. You know, literally in my mind, I help build their business and they're going to reciprocate. Um, when there's homeowners that don't have a contractor say, Hey, I, I have a contractor. Here's a couple um, that I work with. You know, you, you do your choice. That's what my PA, two PAs, I, two different PA companies I work with now, they give two choices. And then usually I get called. I mean, it's, that's the way business is supposed to work. <laughs> so we'll get, we got ready. We got, we got, I just got the numbers for Andy in, uh, in, uh, what were in October? No, in November. Yeah. Get ready. He signed a bunch. He signed a ton. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, this morning I just I had a call where uh, so we're a, we're on the base, the NAS base here. We're a, because I'm a former officer in the Marines, so we're a military approved and uh, as a vendor on the NAS base in Pensacola. And so I'm through just networking and relationship building, just like meeting you, man. Um, I my business partner and I met with. Uh, these two guys that, you know, we didn't really know who they were, but met with them, chatted up, sent in estimates and stuff. They didn't pick us on that one. Um, but, you know, I had everything nicely broken down and stuff. And they said, uh, they went with a different guy. Then about a month later, or two months later, they said, hey, um, you want to take a look at this? And that phone call was this morning. And they want to know, can you handle 30, 40 roofs a month? Sure. So, Yeah. Didn't need some help, <laughs> you know, PAs, <laughs> I mean, no. not kidding. I mean, right now we do 10 to 15 contracts a week. I tell, oh, wow. Nice. That's awesome. <clears throat> I tell, I tell public adjusters all the time. I mean, <clears throat> my number one referral source have always been contractors. Always, 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 always. Did I always have a ton of them? No, but if I like, you know, I, the relationship I'm building with you and the relationship that I have with a contractor here in Tampa, you know, it's just a good, strong, positive relationship. And what helps is that it's not just, I get the referral. It's not just that after the claim gets paid, they get the referral back because they get the job. But in a selfish way, I also usually get expert documentation from that person also. So my contractor here in Tampa, he's the man, he is a flooring expert. So he refers me a lot of water damage claims and water damage to flooring. Well, the guy has been on Angie's list and has been a, and has been in the flooring industry for like 45 years. I, right. I put together, all he did was put together a letter one day explaining the reasons why all of this floor had to be replaced. And I told this guy, I, sh I showed it to the insurance company. I said, look, this guy's experience right here is better than any engineer 
that you're going to get off the street. I don't care if he's an engineer or not. I said, this, this right here, 45 years of experience, flooring expert, right. licensed general contractor is going to hold way more weight than just because you're bringing me an engineer. You know, I mean, right. experience is key. Uh, the knowledge base of, of, of all you guys. I mean, I've seen the freaking test that some of you guys have to pass <clears throat> and the knowledge that you must have in order just to become a licensed contractor. And I mean, you know, we need it as public adjusters. We need it. There's some public adjusters out there that their strength is construction there. That's, that's definitely out there as well, which I mean, I think is fantastic, but uh, honestly, a lot of public adjusters aren't, aren't like that either. There's not a lot that are, are really specialized in all the different right. systems, the flooring systems, code upgrades and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's better to keep things compartmentalized anyway, separate, exactly. you know, you know, in a little bit of knowledge is dangerous, but um, applicable knowledge that is time tested and like, you know, earned through, you know, being a public adjuster, working with contractors. So you know what works and what's, what actually is good construction practice is very, very, very like dangerous for the insurance company, <laughs> you know, um, because they're not going to, they don't know what to do. And unless, unless that desk adjuster has construction experience, um, which they it, it's don't, not gonna go through, yeah, I know. And it's not going to go through smoothly. That's what I'm saying. If, if the desk adjuster has some kind of construction experience, they're going to know. And they might wiggle a little bit of dollars off of it. But man, if you've got written down, like, here's what you got to do, you know, right. itemized out. And then here's the supporting documentation from the contractor. Right. And then you guys put it in an estimate in an F9 note. I mean, give me a break. It's well, pretty easy to argue. <laughs> put in your due diligence. Like, I like what you said in the beginning when you actually went to the building department, you know, and you actually got it in yeah. writing. No, I mean, that's, that's another thing is some people are just too lazy. They don't want to do that stuff. Well, you know, it, that's where like those expert reports that I was doing uh, came into play. So I had done a thousand, see, a, thousand right? a thousand of them. Yeah. It was nuts. Um, what were these reports so, like? What's that? What were these reports like? Um, they're, they're, they're all in tile. Well, not all of them. I had like, I don't know, 25 shingles and about five metal, but the rest were all tile. And what, what it worked, what it did is like, okay, everybody that's a PA should be looking at an engineer report, get engineer reports. And this is one of my best nugget dude is like for anybody that's a PA, go grab the engineer reports and read them and then read and read them and read them and read them and read them and then read different ones from different companies and then take a highlighter and, and then start highlighting what their findings are. Literally that's what I did. And then I started putting them up on a wall. And then I just, then I deciphered a pattern. It's, I mean, that's, that's my thing. I like, I, I can find patterns really easily. So I just started finding these patterns. So literally then I went and, and I went and um, surveyed the damage on the roofs. And then I started hearing what I've been remembering what these in, uh, engineers were saying. So then all I did was found the supporting documentation and the morning supporting damage on the roof that would disprove what they were saying. Then I found the building code to back it up, you know, and then the tile roofing Institute uh, recommendations, which is mentioned in the Florida building code as the governing body of how you're supposed to install a roof. Like, I don't know if these guys know, but um, anything over two inches or more is to be replaced, not repaired. doesn't matter if it's a thermal crack, you know, it doesn't matter. It says two inches or more needs to be replaced. Not re it's recommended for replacement, not repair. So just an FYI, if you got thermal cracks everywhere, like I, I got one approved that's a thermal cracked roof, they said, 
And I said, okay, how's it a thermal crack roof when the crack goes from the lower left corner? So it went from lower left corner in the middle up to a fastener. I said, yeah, the roof's three years old. I'm like, I don't care. And I'm like, uh, the roof also lifts up two and a half inches. Two inches by code is, is, is allowable. Anything over two inches, as per the American Society of Civil Engineers, is considered wind damage. So all I did was I went, because they would mention these things, so I went and looked it up. And I'm like, oh, here it is. And I'm like, oh, it says right here, American Society of Civil Engineers is over two inches, is considered wind damage. I literally used I literally used their own their own stuff against them in a report. So it's ten written pages and then pictures and then I would mention in the picture specifically the building code and then like if it's American Society of Civil Engineers I, I, and then I gave a whole page so I'd cite all my sources and then I'd mention in the in like I'd circle like right here like if there's damage right here over my eye and then I'd take a line over to the comment and, and it's like it's like right here is what I'm talking about. And then a lot of them, you know, they don't like to pay for wind lift. So what I would do is I would go and I would do, a, I would mention that the most susceptible sections on a roof are the hips, ridges, and eaves, right? So then I would go and mention and talk about the median roof height. If you guys don't know what that is, that's the MRH. Okay. That is supposedly the most secure place. Okay, so go to Florida Building Code and look up, or go to Google, look up a median roof height calculation. Figure out where figure out where it's supposed to be most secure on a tile roof. Go there, lift up the tile. Well, according to median roof height, it's supposed to be secure, you know. And then you look to see if there's a if there's a upper right corner crack or upper left corner cracks to the fastener hole, okay. And if there is, that's a 100% according to engineers indication of wind damage because what happens is it got impinged when it lifted and it broke. There's not foot traffic. Huh. If if it if it was low if it was low cyclic fatigue, which means it just went like this, most people call it chatter. The real technical name for it is low cyclic fatigue, and it just went like this. It's moved in the wind like this, right? And the what? And then in order to substantiate that, you show the fastener is pulled, and then you look at the fastener. If the fastener is shiny, how did it get that way? It got that way because it moved up and moved down repeatedly. Oh, what do you know? And that means that's an indication of that the tile moved. Okay, so the tile moved, it's got a crack, and you got cracks all over the roof. The damn thing has wind damage. Just like that. And that's what my reports would say. I mean, and I mean you can smoke them, smoke them every time. And, and it was fantastic. I gotta do cheesy radio radio show uh, sound. Hold on. I mean, that was crazy. That was unbelievable. I hope you guys took notes on that. There's going to be people that are going to rewind that and have to listen. Well, the other part, the other part on the tile roof, you, you go up to the ridge and you look down the hip like at a 45, right? So you're looking down the hip on a 45. When you, you know, everybody that's a public adjuster has been on the roof. They see the tiles up like this and up like this, right? If it is, if it is moved from, so the tile sits like that, right? So if it's like this or just like that. See, like it's supposed to sit like that and it's over. Yeah. That is a displaced. That's a displaced or dislodged. You know where I learned that a home inspector, if it's displaced or dislodged and not in its original location of, of original installation, it means the roof no longer functions as originally intended and the roofing system as a whole would leak. 
I mean, man, it is it is insane what you learn from a home inspector. I was like, I was like, really? I'm like, so I went and looked it up. I'm like, holy crap! And I'm like, so I started writing in my reports, citing home inspectors. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. That's awesome. By the way, I have those. I can do those for any public adjuster anywhere. You know, <laughs> so just you know, right let here. me know. <laughs> right here, guys. Um, put together those expert reports for you. Yeah, because you, it, yeah. it's funny because you do see a pattern all the time with these denials, whether it's with an engineer, not an engineer, but especially with the engineer reports that they send out. It's a, it's a pattern. It's like always oh, the same. They're denying, denying the same freaking thing all the time. And our job as public adjusters or attorneys or whatever, we need to think of arguments to try to counter all those things. And that, my friend, everything you just said for the last 10 minutes was fascinating. Well, and there's a, so I was in one neighborhood I was there for like a year, literally. I never went anywhere else for a year. <laughs> Why would and you? They were all, the, they're all the big houses. I mean, they're 80 to 130 square tile roofs, all discontinued, you know, um, gated. So you had to get invited in. And then I got on the list as a, an approved vendor. I'd go to the gate and just wave, show them my ID. They come out, look, boop, I'm in. Um, so my, my point is, once you start seeing the patterns on the roof, the engineers would come out, right, and they do their engineer report. Every single, every single one went to an engineer, every single one in that neighborhood. There's 300 them, homes there. Once you've already got this pattern established, you can hit them right, right on the engineering inspection. You can let them know, oh, you're looking at this. Well, this is what this is. You're looking at that. Well, this is what that is. Even so, you know, I, I, the whole our point of like, you know, our podcast here, your podcast is for public adjusters, right? Well, this is when I had hooked up with a public adjuster. And I was, that's what I would do. Going, if I saw you I was, like that, Oh my God, please. I I, well, and I went through the, I went through with a public adjuster, right? I never go to adjuster meetings ever. That's on the PA. The PA goes to the adjuster meeting. I inform the customer. I go, there's really nothing legally there that I can do. I go, I'm like, the only thing that could happen is I could get myself in like hot water by stating something that could be construed or misconstrued as a talking policy. I go, that's why the public adjuster's there. I'm like, if you want me there, I'll be there. Most of them in the PA will be on the phone with me. Oh, like, yeah. I'll have I will conference call the customer. You know what I've done too, Jared, is I have no problem asking the contractor to come to the inspection with me. Right. For construction part and you argue policy, I'll talk, I'll talk, you know, building codes. Yeah. It just holds so much weight. Yeah. And, uh, and real, real quick, get into the fact because here's another thing that uh, the, the PAs unfortunately have to run into all the time, which is I think where it gets, it gets a little dicey having the relationship with the contractor. See, you understand that you have your role. And the yeah. PA has their role. Yeah. What, what happens a lot, and I know I've seen it here, even here in Tampa, where is a roofer will, will sign up the roof, will file the claim, will go to the inspection, will negotiate his fee with the insurance company, and will settle the claim. And I've had clients, I've had people tell me that this is exactly how they got their new roof and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, that's, that's not legal. So I want, I want you to not, you don't have to explain, but I just want you to just sort of, I guess, nod your head in agreement that, that, you as a contractor are not a public adjuster and therefore you nope. cannot discuss policy. Nope. Even negotiating is a little, you can't, I mean, if you have your estimate, that's your estimate for you to go. About right. I can negotiate my estimate. Right. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> but that's what I want people to understand is that especially contractors now that, you know, obviously we've got you on here. Maybe we get some contractors are going to be watching this. Just understand that guys, come on. Like you have your role as far as you're going to be putting the documentation, the estimate together, and you're going to actually get the work to replace it. Allow the public adjuster to do what they do, what we do, what we're good at, which is negotiate, policy uh and and just get that damn insurance claim paid you know right and, and the, 
for contractors that are listening, um, it makes your life a hell of a lot easier. I mean, I don't have to employ people to do this. You know, I have a couple of people in the office that can send the invoice for cost incurred and it's done. Yeah. I mean, you're going to do the work anyway, you know, you, but you do it cost incurred as long as the PA, you know, notifies the homeowner and you're checking up on, with the homeowner, you know, informing you, the customer, the customer, the contractor that, Hey, this is what's going to happen. You know, that is getting approved at this dollar amount. Boom. My contract is contingency upon improved or uh, approved uh, insurance proceeds, you know? So whatever you get approved minus your 10% is, is what it is. So, Plain and simple. Uh, obviously you, we were talking pretty in depth about tile roof, which was, was fucking awesome. Thank you very much. That was great. Um, in Pensacola, you're running more into a lot of shingles, right? Shingled roof. Yeah. What are some of the, what are some of the, well, I guess some of your classic arguments there that you've been, or some, I guess not classic arguments. Let's, let's word this better. What are some of the, uh, what are, what are some of the, what's some of the, the, uh, uh, the fight back that you've been getting from insurance companies in regards to, um, Similar, okay, it's always a similar thing on every roof. Okay, it doesn't matter what roof it is, really. You know, they're going to argue that there's not damage on, you know, the roofing material. Um, that, you know, like on metal. Uh, like, I'll, I'll get to Shingle in just a second. I got to say it's about metal so everybody understands, like, the applicableness of, like, the system that I had, which is, um, you know, there's, let's say there's a dent, you know, on just a couple panels and it's on two different sides of the house on, on a standing seam, right? And they say, well, we'll just replace those two panels. It's like, well, you know, it's not. Um, I have to remove all these, and it's not going to match, right? So matching statute, blah, blah, blah. And then if you can show a scratch on anywhere else on the roof, really, you know, the Kynar coating, the 45-year you know, Kynar coating is what's damaged, which means the roofing material is going to rust and deteriorate faster, and it's no longer functioning as originally intended. Kynar coating? Kynar, K-Y-N-A-R. The Kynar coating is what protects it from abrasion, rust, and oxidation. So then you have an argument and say, okay, well, uh, the Kynar coating is damaged. The metal has a dent. When that rust is gonna, it's gonna speed up the deterioration of the material. And you have, you know, you have drag marks all over the roof. You know, so what do we do about those? <laughs> and, you know, all you gotta do is go to the manufacturer and have the manufacturer write something. They will do it. And that's what I do. That it, yeah. Documentation. Simple. So, so, so it's the, so you have the t the tile app application of you know the manufacturer sends out the the list of nothing's that it's no longer made, and then basically any manufacturer will, will have certain documentation that you can use on shingles. It's uh you know damage to the roof, so like severe granular loss, you know, uh, which accelerates the deterioration of the shingle. Uh, we have the other another really valuable argument down here is we're in South we're in Florida. <laughs> the sun is hotter down here. The UV index is more powerful than it is, I think, anywhere else in the country. It's just hot, and we have more hotter days too. So if you have severe granular loss, the granules are protecting the shingle from deterioration because UV deteriorates petroleum products. It's proven. You can look it up and you can find it. So you can show that the, that the roof is going to be, the deterioration is going to be accelerated considerably, like measurably, that it's going to fall apart quicker than what was originally intended, which means then it no longer functions as originally installed. And so it's going to have a higher propensity to leak, and then you're going to come back, be coming back to do it anyway. 
And the same thing applies to each section of the roof as far as the building code goes. The hip does not separate the section. So you can have a section that has damage, another section that doesn't, um, and then like have like just a corner, you know, like just a corner missing on that hip. Oh, well, I got to touch that hip. I got to touch that. It means I can touch the other section. That's an issue that I hear public adjusters have in different parts of the country all the time where there's no matching statute. So what happens is they, they insurance company has no problem paying for, for, for one side of the roof and not having to pay for the other. Yeah. It depends on the, you know, if it's international building code outside here or, um, that's good. I mean, uh, uh, that's good advice to give them is, Hey, look, if that's the case, you know, take a, take a really close look at the hip to see if there's any kind of damage at yeah. all. Cause then you might have an argument. Right. And then double check the international bidding code, um, residential code, IRC, you know, um, to see what it says, get a letter from the billing department that they enforce it. And then you have a leg to stand on for a really solid argument to say, okay, well, this section over here applies to that section over here because the hip is no, not technically separating and it has damage. So when I touch that, I have a higher chance to damage that shingle next to it. Um, you know, and when you do a repair, you're going to replace three for the one. Right. And that's another really good argument. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, so th those, that's what mainly we've been dealing with here. And then um, the other thing is the secondary water barrier. They're wanting to just do as if Pensacola is somehow different than the rest of the state of Florida. I don't know. Um, I'm pretty sure it falls all under the international building code. And this is how I will talk to a desk adjuster. I'll say like, so if there's a field inspector or field adjuster that comes out, right? Independent adjuster. I'll, I, you know, he, they're on the roof. They're like, I don't see much damage. I'm like, I'm like, do you have magical boots? And they go, what? I go, do you have magic boots? They're like, no, I'm like, neither do I. I'm like, so we're walking on a roof damaging it. So how do you explain that? Yeah. Are you going to call it foot traffic? Are you going to call that foot traffic? You want me to, you want me to just have the homeowner file a claim for foot traffic? Because I'm, I'm, I'm like, you damaged that roof right there. He goes, what? I go, the severe granular loss, you walking on it just accelerate the deterioration. I go, or, you know, we could stop playing games and we can go look to see what the damage is on the roof. Exactly. You know, and they, they are just blindsided. You know, most people are just going to argue. I'm like, I try to hit them with logic and like reality. Okay. Like there's damage here, man. It's whether you're going to pay for it or not. And I'll just tell them, Hey, just do a repair. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Do a repair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I'll say, you know, and I both know that what that means. Yeah. I'm like, exactly. I'm not, I said, I'm not talking policy. I said, I'll go. And I've actually had the homeowner get their policy with the adjuster there. And I said, Hey, why don't I'm like, uh, is there anything in your policy, Mr. Homeowner, that you think that the, that the independent adjuster should know about? And then I, and he goes, yeah, what's this law and ordinance section have to do with my policy? And I, then I, then I hit them with all the damage, you know, the gutter, you know, everything else, you know, the siding, Hey, they got aluminum windows. We're in 2017 building code. They're within a, the windborne debris region um, that they have to have hurricane impact windows. Right. And then the, and the homeowner goes, is that covered under my policy? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I get them. I mean, Good it's, stuff. it's not hard. <laughs> it's just, you got to know how to ask the questions in order to get the answers. And if I'm not interpreting policy, the homeowner though is a contract holder. So under, you know, uniform commercial code business law in consideration for his payment, they have to do certain things in a covered peril. So that's a contract. So I, I tell the homeowner that. And so the homeowner will go, so since I pay you money and I sign this contract as a policy, aren't you supposed to cover this stuff under my policy? And if you're not, why not? 
And if you didn't disclose to stuff to me, so how do you break the law by not disclosing what I'm supposed to have in coverage? And then I'll have the homeowner say, so where's it, where's it say on what page in my policy? I need the page and paragraph no, number of where it says you don't cover because of these things. Right. Mike, if it's not in my contract, then how do you get out of not paying for it? Or how do you get out of paying for it? And the, the, the IAs are just like, what the? That's the strategy we use as well, because they want to just claim all these things. And we're just like, all right, we're with it if you show us. And they usually show me, show me where's that. <laughs> show it. I mean, it's the same thing. Uh, man, uh, you're awesome, man. You're just a wealth of knowledge. I remember, I, I want to thank you also when, uh, when, uh, when we were, when I was in Pensacola, we did a meetup. Let me tell you something. Yeah, that was great. You were the star of the show, Jared. I, I they would come and ask me like one question. I'd, I'd give them like an answer and they just were like deer in headlights. They're like, what's that mean? <laughs> I'm like, well, this is how, this is what it does. And this is how it applies. I'm like the public gestures I use that I, that I work with now. Um, this is what I give them and that's, and this is how they help get stuff approved. Huge. It's huge. I mean, yeah. like I said, like on a, on a reinspection or something like that, if you provide me all this documentation, I'm going to freaking throw it in their face. Yeah. Here you go. I'm not going to be going to say <laughs> anything. Right. It's like, now what do you want to do? Oh, you want to go to court? Oh, okay. <laughs> I like how you said the other PA would just call you on the phone and be, have you on speaker, you know, but I would rather you even there in person. Well, yeah. You know, and, He'll have most of the time. What, what what we do is I'll have the report. Um, you know, the homeowner will ask. You know, hey, do you have any documentation? And you know, I'm, I don't coach them. I just say, you know, if you want documentation, you know, I can provide you with you know documentation for the damage on your roof and stuff besides just the estimate. And I go make sure you let the public adjuster know. And then the public adjuster says, hey, do you have that report? Absolutely. And, and so I'll send it over to the PA as long as we're under contract. If we're not under contract and they want me to do it, then, you know, there's a charge for that. Right. Which is, I was going to ask you. So are, are, would you do that? If there's any uh, public adjusters listening who are in Pensacola area, is that something that you would do if you're not under contract to replace the roof is at least. Uh, uh, Absolutely, man. Yeah. That's, that, I mean, that's huge. Just to go up there and do like. Plenty a of business. <laughs> well, I tell you know, the, here's what I tell the, here's what I tell the homeowner. If, if that's the case, if, if we just, all we need is a report at that moment. Uh, I mean, once that claim gets paid, it's going to be like, you realize that I did what I had to do, but without this report, I would not have been able to negotiate this claim for you. Without this report, right. we don't get paid. Without this report, we're in litigation for the next two years. Exactly. <laughs> and that's, that's why also why I realized early, like three years ago, that how valuable the reports were. And I'm like, why is nobody doing this? I'm like, it would, it would take me a little while. I mean, it'd take me so much to do the reports personally. I've been telling public adjusters, some of them make fun of me. They're just like, oh, Vince is the document guy, the documentation guy. And I'm like, you don't get it. Uh -oh. like, it's huge. It's huge. I get yeah. it. I have, a, I have like a top five things that I have on every single one of my claims. Simple things like, LO, I make sure I have in my file, LOR, photos, but then I have a repair, expert documentation, and mitigation. Every yeah. single one I've got to have, every single one. I've got a checklist on my Trello card where I, where I follow all my claims, where Tammy, she'll check off. Okay, do we, have the, do we have the expert documentation? Check, yes or no. Do we have the estimate? Check, yes or no. Do we have the mitigation? Check, yes or no. I mean, these are just every single claim I got to have it. Obviously, some claims are different than others, but it's just so important. And I love just sending that expert documentation out with my estimate, like right off the bat. Like, here's what we're claiming. Here's what it is. You go ahead and send who you want, but we've already got the expert out for you. So two things happens is either they want to send their own expert out to fight our own expert, or we get the claim paid in a month because we've yeah. done all the work for them. 
we've done all the work for the insurance company. Basically what they're yeah, And I mean, you're not, it's, it's sad to realize that like the in, inside adjusters or desk adjusters are, it seems anyway, I'm not going to say it's a hundred percent all the time for, you know, legal purposes. Um, but it seems very much so that they are trained specifically on certain things to either not give or deny and, or they give very little and it's not, it's not to what the cost is. So that's, that's where it dawned on me. I'm like, like who can do this? Like, literally this is what it was for all the PAs. I'm like, who can do this for me? So I don't have to do it. I don't have the time, the patience or the, the follow-up ability on the amount of detail that has to happen. I'm like, I can't do that. I'm like, my brain doesn't, Oh, yeah, because Once I get it done, it's out of mind, out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> if you don't be careful, if you don't have a good system in place to make sure that you're on top of the insurance company, the claim will get lost. It just sort of gets yeah. lost and it's just like never gets settled. I mean, I've got guys send me messages on, on social media all the time. This claim has been open for five months. This claim has been open for six months. I'm like, why haven't you filed a lawsuit? Like, I, uh, why, are, why are you still even like, why is this even still open? Oh, but they haven't responded to me in two months. Why haven't you notified the state? Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> send the CRN. <laughs> oh, I showed you my, oh, I showed you my letter to the state. Oh, it works. So yeah. By the way, that's, that's uh, for version 2.0 of our consulting course, which we're going to be selling next week. I'm going to provide, provide you guys that letter. That letter's badass. It works. It oh, works. and uh, you know, on that same note of uh, lead generation, well, you might want to mention that sometime too. <laughs> you want to talk so, about it? Sure. We can. So um, I have a unique way to make sure I get leads. It's, I mean, as far as scaling your business, holy moly, you can have somebody answering your phone, checking your email 24-7. Um, so as soon as you go online and you geo-target um, your area for leads, it's a big difference. Um, I have it. It works. It works very well. I get so lead, lead generation is definitely something that uh, public adjusters are always, I guess, uh, another one of the biggest issues that public adjusters have is finding the work, you know, is finding those claims. Right. Why I think it's very important for us to build relationships with other contractors, but you've been able to really get a lot of leads, huh? Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's really not hard once you have a system that, you, that I mean, I've used this in, for the last three years or the first year I was just kind of putting it together not with the, the software that I have now, uh, but I used it the same software for two different companies just to test them, you know? So like I spent $60,000 of my own money um, building that last roofing company uh, during COVID, right? We did 200 contracts, signed contracts. And not only that, they're signed AOBs mostly. Nice. And a lot of people, I mean, most people are like, oh, you can't do AVs. I'm like, yeah, you can. Because uh, you, give a, you give an estimate real quick, call it, and then sign them up. You know, as an AOB, you can be the master on the AOB and for the claim. And then you call the public, you hire the public adjuster, and the contractor would pay the PA. And then we were, that way we could get everything done within three days back to the insurance company and meet all the requirements that we're supposed to legally. I mean, it was fantastic. So, um, that we did, and that was, I mean. That's what you've been doing in Pensacola? Yeah. Gotcha. Yep, been doing that in Pensacola. I was going to show you. So sure. this is the last. Yeah. Um, tell, me no, about the, you. tell me about your sure. business, about your. Yeah, That's that. yesterday. 
Those are leads. Missed calls. 19 calls. Yep. Awesome. So the, the calls, the calls get picked up by my inside sales associate and, uh, and I have two of them and then I have leads come in automatically. Tell me about the company. Right. Break it down. How many people you got? How many workers? Well, I think, I think we should probably compartmentalize that into something to, to put with everybody. Um, literally because you, when you just set it up, you have to know, <laughs> it took me three years to figure out how this works together in order to make it the most profitable. Like anybody can go set it up and buy it. But if you don't know like where to inject stuff, what, um, what scripts really need to get sent out via text, email, the time frame, who, who and when calls, how fast, who, and then, uh, the follow-up, you know, the, the, the questions for intaking and then how, how do you, uh, get everything to work with your CRM? You know, do you, do you who's going to program your webhooks? Who's going to program your, who's going to do the SEO for your website? So that's all what I had to get all put together. Jared, talk to contractors right now. Uh, tell them like, you know, just contractors, <laughs> contractors who are like, uh, they'd really like to get to your, to your position, to your status. What are some of the techniques that you've used to sort of get to where you're at with the amount of sales, uh, with the volume, uh, sort of, I guess without getting, I don't want you to give away anything that you don't want to, uh, but sort of like your strategy in Pensacola to like, so, to how you've been able to scale, I guess, just I'd talk to contractors. Well, I mean, literally I bought the company with my business partner, who's also family. So we bought it September 23rd, um, bought a travel trailer the next day and moved to Pensacola. <laughs> of 2020. Of 2020, yeah. This is 2020. And then we opened an office two days later. Uh, so we have one in Fort Myers and one in Pensacola and like satellite offices. We're still finishing up work. Uh, we bought the entire corporation. We just didn't buy the name, which allows us to have credit and all that kind of stuff which is really important. So other contractors, when I said credit, you got to have business credit. So I actually, my business partner, I have a program that will help. Um, the greatest lesson I learned was from a, I used to sell life insurance and this guy was making $234,000 a month on, on residuals. Um, never had to work again, but what he did was really smart. He taught me the best lesson ever, which was invest in other people and help them and, you know, ask for an investment percentage. So there's certain things you have to do in order to set your company up in order to have the cash flow. Um, and you need, you need a little bit of backing. And so my cousin and I are going to be able to offer that to be able to, to help contractors get their businesses set up. You know, you, let's say you're all set up, but you don't have business credit. You know, does your business report to Experian business, the SPFE? If you don't know what those are, you need to call me. Um, is, are your vehicles in your name? That's, that's a no, no. Um, are your vehicles in your business name? You know how to get that? You know how to get that approved? I mean, there's, there's certain ways to get this done. I mean, you ever heard of a commercial fleet lease program? You need to know these things. And that is a hundred percent write-off. Yeah. You have a lease payment. Okay. You have brand new trucks with no breakdown period ever. And if so, they have to bring you another one same year or newer that's in your lease. That's a commercial lease. So it's not like a, it's not like a regular public lease where you have miles. And I'm like, I have unlimited miles on my truck. I can put a hundred thousand miles on if I want this year. It's still covered under the lease. Now it's 75,000 mile power, uh, power train. So you just trade them in and then you take yeah. the, it's gotta be a, the difference and roll it. The, the, it's gotta be, the truck's gotta be a certain amount of weight, right? Get yeah, that. certain amount of weight. So you got to have like, you know, most people grab an F-250 or something or you know, some kind of larger, heavier diesel truck. Um, 
but that's just one part of like the system for contractors. You know, you have to have your, you have to have your CRM. It has to communicate, you know, have to know what it communicates, what it's to communicate the, the flow of information, meaning your, from the field, from the salespeople, from your, from your foreman, from your field operations manager in, in house, you know, so from the field to the company, um, to the office. And then how does that populate? Who's going to do the data entry? You know, how, how do you make that automatic? Those are the things I, I learned and had to figure out that we have uh, made easy for everyone to be able to duplicate. So I've packaged all that together. If people want to know, they can help. I go, but you, you really do need to know and work with a PA. Wait, so are you, are, are you, are you, wait, wait, what, what? Are you really packaging all that? And you're going to, you, you're going to help other contractors do that stuff? That's yeah. what you're saying? How are you? Yeah. What's, what's the reason, reason why is because it, it's insurance restoration. A lot of, a lot of roofers fail and there's no reason to fail. And, and the only way to really stay in the business is to grow. So if you're going to grow, it's really hard to keep doing each little pocket yourself, but within each, but within each people that are failing, they may have years of experience, just don't know how to go get the business, how to, how to utilize technology and, and how to make it to where they can be successful. So the guy that taught me in the insurance business, uh, life insurance, actually, he taught me, um, help them, you capitalize them, set them up and you get a percentage period. You're a venture capitalist at that point for roofing contractors. Nice. And so then you, you show them, I mean, if, if a roofing contractor, I'll say that again. You really streamline the process for any of these new roofing contractors. You really yeah. get it. Streamline it to where they can get business, you know? So, I mean, I should say, okay, those are 19 calls and six text messages. Right. Uh, the text messages are for appointments that are preset. Out of those 19, the person calls, and they are then preset. Um, we have out of those, so six are already set. So if you want to say there's 25, right? So six are already set. So we're really talking about the 19. So we'll be able to reach about 15 of them, 16, 16 crazy numbers, and we'll we will set 80%. So 50% is eight. Um, so you're looking at about 10, 11. So we then would have 11 preset appointments plus the six preset appointments. That's 17 preset appointments for this week already. And today's Monday and that happened over the weekend. So, and I, and I have somebody that collects all that information. They go through a 10 page question or not 10 page, 10 question questionnaire that the homeowner has to answer. So you know, when you get there, the salesperson is going to be able to have a person sitting there has a check. Uh, they know they have to pay their deductible um, that we finance deductibles. I can hook you up with the company that, that finances deductibles. You get the money in three to five business days. Um, 100%. There's no waiting for it. You get, you get all the money up front from the loan company. It, it's crazy. They go down to a 500 credit score. It's amazing. So it really will help out a, a lot of contractors. You know, state of Florida, you can't give up a, you don't want to give away deductibles because you know, deductibles on hurricanes are 2%, $300,000 house. That's $6,000. Yeah. yeah. You know, you do a, you do a hundred roofs, you just give away 600 grand, right. no fix. Right. So you, you got to make sure that you're doing it right. And in the state of Florida, if, any, if anybody's not aware, if you don't collect the deductibles as of 7-1 of 2019, or sorry, 7-1 of 2020? No, 7-1 of 2019, I'm sorry. 7-1 of 2019, in order for the recoverable depreciation to be released on the, on the roof, 
or in the whole claim, you have to show proof that the deductible was paid. That is law. So if you get cost incurred stuff, think about this contractors, you get cost incurred and you don't collect the deductible. You can't get the cost incurred money because that cost incurred money is going to be rolled over usually by a PA or somebody onto the recoverable depreciation. If the insurance company asks for proof, I've had them ask me for uh, the check. So I showed them proof of the check. They say, we want proof of the deposit, right? So we had to show them proof of a deposit of the check. So I just sent them proof of the deposit of the deductible check. So that there's no question. Here it is. Boom, boom. Send me my money. You know, then have the PA. The other thing, the advantage of working with the PA guys is like, okay, let's say you're doing an entire claim and you have GC roof work that needs to get done. And you give away the GC work to do the roof. Well, you have to show that the work was done. So you, so you have to have the PA get the recoverable depreciation released off of just the roof. If you're not going to be doing the inside construction work. And if not, then how are you ever going to get it? You have to be able to show that the deductible was paid. And then you have to have the PA ask for the recoverable depreciation off the roof only. And that then means you can get all the money that was approved as cost incurred or um, O&L items onto that recoverable depreciation. So that's, that's another really big value of the PA, man. <laughs> yeah, you can ask and do it yourself, but I don't want to do that on a hundred claims. I don't want to do that on 10 claims a week. I'm like, that's to me, that's not my job. You know, the, the PA has a license for a reason to do that. Um, it's compartmentalization. It allows easier free and flowing. And I know a lot of people don't think that way, but just don't be greedy. You know, just do it in mass volume. You know, you got business for three years, like, rock and roll and do as many as you can yeah do, so, what you can do what you're good at let the other people do what they're good at and just you know exactly let everybody eat too you know yeah know your limits let them do their work get her done <laughs> jared thanks man yeah nice hey, talking with you vince dude that was uh that was awesome uh that was fantastic i think my my favorite part was uh was the the tile roost that was pretty that was pretty awesome oh man there's so much more on tile roost it's not even funny <laughs> Like, uh, you know, all the hot mopping, you know, they would say, oh, we're, you know, they're going to had one company say that they were going to give me um, uh, 90 pound felt. I go, how do you give me 90 pound felt when we got hot mop mod bit on the roof? And they're just like, what? And, then, and I took a picture of it and I was like, that's hot mop mod bit. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, you know, we can just talk to your attorney to see how that's going to go. <laughs> and they're like, what? I said, I go, well, you're fraudulently not paying, you're fraudulently claiming, you're, you're claiming that what is there is not uh, what I put in the estimate or that what you're in the estimate is actually what's on the roof. I go, what's on the roof is this, date and time stamped, what you say is this. I go, you need to change it. I go, and I know it's going to be considerable. I go, because when I do my exact me, which you have. It's like a you know, double roof. Yeah, it's like a double roof. I'm like, I'm sorry, but that's what's there. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. I, saw anyway. PA, I saw PA do an estimate like that once, and I'm like, what? Wait, why do you got why do you got a mod bid in here? And he's just like, because that's what's under the tile. I'm like, no way. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, mod, you, you always go with mod bid, hot mop, and then uh, you're good to go. I mean, it's so much better. And, and, and you can literally target neighborhoods. I mean, for the PAs, dude, it's, this isn't rocket science. Go to uh, you want to make great money as a PA. Here's a here's a here's a big nugget of amazing information. It's been a lot go to of Zillow. Time. Go to Zillow, right? Get a windstorm report of the area. Yeah. 
type in one million dollar houses. It's yeah. the same process on same process on every roof, right? It doesn't matter what it is really for claims for a PA. And then you can literally go to the you can go there and say you want to become a vendor and you go talk to the HOA president. And then you can get your name put on the list. They have, a, they have an email list of every single person that lives there. And you, hey, will you blast it, blast my information out to the, the, to the homeowners? Oh, you got to do that. Do that 10 times. I dare you. Yeah. You're going to get business. <laughs> it's, and you're going to be working with roofs that are going to be valued with like $2,000 a square at uh, 80 squares. So you're going to work with $160,000. You're going to settle it, let's say, 80%. And so you're working with like, what, nine, $10,000 checks? I'm like, why would you want to do anything else? And then just do a hundred of them, make a million bucks just like that. Well, this is why I had you on because the first time we met, you blew my mind with some of these ideas. I wanted to have you on so you could blow all the PA's minds and contractors say, what am I doing wrong here? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you got to have your system set up. Contractors got to have their system set up. Utilize the public adjuster. I mean, you're, you're crazy if you don't. Right. Crazy. And vice versa. Vice versa is the same way. No, there's no reason yeah. why a PA doesn't want a contractor on their, on their claim either because it's only going to help. Yeah, and, and man, throw my information out to the guys if they want, they want to give me a call. I'm available. Um, you can throw my cell phone out there. I don't care. Yeah, um, put it, I'm going to put it in the intro. We're going to have an intro the whole thing. I'm going to say your name, your company name. Uh, you get the same as with the social media, right? Uh, I know you get your own personal, but do you have one for the company too? Yeah, we got American Dream Builder, Southwest Florida for um, Facebook. Um, soon to be having it on Instagram and uh, uh, YouTube, but that rolls out in January with my advertising program. So um, it's part of the advertising software, but I didn't run a rolled out yet because, you know, at, right now I don't have enough salespeople. <laughs> I'm like, if I turn YouTube on, it's going to be insane. So. Well, it's, it's a good problem to have is my point. I definitely think there's a ways that we can help each other with all that stuff too. So it's pretty cool. Heck yeah. Jared, thank you so much for taking the time. It was only an hour and 30 minutes. <laughs> time flies always talking, man, with you, doesn't it? <laughs> fun. I'm literally not even trying to be long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's been awesome. And I knew it would be. Uh, I'm going over there. I'm going over there in, not this week, next week. I'll be there for a few days. So we okay. have some lunch. Yeah, grab some lunch. All right, Jared. All right, talk to you later, man. Thanks, man. Thank you so much. Bye.